time, we're in the middle of a series that we have called God's Top Ten. We're preaching and teaching through the Ten Commandments and looking at how applicable they are to the lives of those who are followers of Jesus. We're at commandment number seven. So, would you please stand? It's a very short commandment. It's verse 14 of chapter 20, and it simply says, ah, you must not commit adultery. That is it. Shout amen. amen. Please be seated. All right, let me confess up front. It was not initially my plan to teach on adultery on Father's Day. All right. <laughs> it was, that was not a plan of mine, right? We laid out the, the series, and after laying out the series, we saw that this particular commandment fell on Father's Day. And I really struggled with it a little bit. Whether, well, maybe I should spend the, suspend the series, do something unique for fathers, whatever the case is. And then finally, I just concluded, no, you know, this is providential. God knows what he's doing. So let me just say, guys, I'm not trying to pick on you. But it is an opportunity for me to uniquely challenge you as men. And so I want to do that. But I want to do that in the larger context of recognizing that more than men commit adultery. Say amen, somebody. Amen. All right. So, so we, want to, we want to just kind of push down this piece together, this road together. Now, I always, every week, I'm trying to give you a different insight. And I want to give God thanks and praise for Pastor Dan Monroe, who did a wonderful job last week. Can we celebrate Pastor Dan Monroe? Very grateful for his work last week. Uh, every week we try to give you a different vantage point on the commandments to help you to understand them in, in, um, in, in more practical and in a broader context. So today, here's the insight I want to give you on all Ten Commandments. And that is that uh, the setting for the Ten Commandments when they are originally given is a setting at the foot of Mount Sinai where there's about 600,000 individuals, Jewish people who have just come out of slavery in Egypt, have passed through the Red Sea, a mighty deliverance, and now they're at the mountain, at the foot of the mountain of Mount Sinai. And it's in the context of a ceremony. It's a covenant-making ceremony. And God is declaring to the giving of these commandments that he has already uh, committed um, and claimed uh, these individuals as his people. And so whenever you read the, the name of God inside of the world of these commandments, you always hear the phrase, the Lord, your God. Everybody say, the Lord, your God. Uh, that, that is re that's reaffirming the fact that God has already said, I've laid claim to your lives, the totality of your lives. However, the relationship does not exist Unto the people to whom God has laid claim, also say, you will be our God and we will be your people. And so that is the context. It is a ceremony where a covenant is being established between God and God's people to be lived out through the keeping of the commandments. However, this covenantal arrangement has constitutional implications. Because these 600,000 people who are standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, what's really going on is a nation is being born. It is the nation of Israel. And the values that are reflected in this, uh, these 10 commandments, these 10 words, as it often is referred to, will in fact give shape to the original understanding of the Constitution that will govern and shape the people that will ultimately be known as the 
Jewish people are the nation of Israel. So it has constitutional implications. Here's the point. That God has looked into the lives of human beings and he's looked at how we are shaped and he's pulled out these 10 basic insights and what God is ultimately teaching is that either as individuals, our families, our communities, or as a nation, that if in fact we live out the meanings of these commandments, we release blessings onto our lives as individuals, families, communities, and nations. Everybody shout blessings. If we align our lives with the teachings of these commandments. Some of them have, we have found uh, aspects of these commandments in other parts of the world, like the Hermetic Code, for example. All of that's just simply God's fingerprints. That's at work. There's some insight uh, in these commandments that God says, if you line up with them, release blessings. On the other hand, the opposite is also true. As individuals, as families, communities, and as a nation, if we set a course that violates and breaks these commandments, we in a sense break how God has designed us to function, and rather than releasing blessings, we release disaster into our lives as individuals, families, communities, and nations. Now, this is framed pretty well for us in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15. Essentially, here's what God says, uh, and it is the context of these commandments. He says, listen, I'm giving you the choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Watch the next verse. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to keep his commands, decrees, regulations. How? By walking in his ways. If you do this, everybody say, if you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you. See the blessings and the land, not just talking about the agriculture context, but I think also the culture that emerges on that land. You are about to enter and occupy. So if I'm faithful with these commandments, they have a way of releasing blessings. Whether I'm a Christian or not a Christian, whether I'm a believer or not a Christian, and if I violate the tenets of these commandments, what I'm doing is setting myself up, or my family, or my community, or my nation, for disaster. That's the teaching, the context for the commandments. Now, the last six, you remember the first four, has to do with our relationship with God. The last six, beginning with honor your father and your mother, and uh, don't murder, and don't commit adultery, and don't steal, and, uh, and don't uh, lie or bear false witness against your neighbor, and don't covet your, uh, your neighbor's property, your wife, etc., etc. Those last six uh, have a relational focus in terms of community among ourselves. So it drives home the point that I made, blessings versus disaster. And the last six are radical. Everybody say radical. They are radical in their setting. You see, in the, in the part of the world that these commandments were emerged, uh, with a few exceptions, there are some African nations in, in, in various parts at different points where women played a leadership role in government and even in military. But for the most part, in this context, women in general were uh, second-class citizens at best 
are a step above being somebody's property. And in many cases, they were seen or considered as property. They had no rights or very little rights at all. So these commandments are radical in how they equally both empower and challenge men and women. Notice the commandment. It says, thou shalt honor thy, mo- thy father and... You would think in that context, it would just simply say, honor your father and, you know, don't worry about mom. But there's a call. This is radical. It's radical in this context. There's a call. And the suggestion is that both dads and moms, despite the cultural power imbalance, that's really God speaking to that cultural power imbalance, and that God's, and that dads and moms, that, that, that if you grow up honoring them, you have a way of releasing blessings that flow in the next generation, despite the flaws of dad and moms. This is co-nature. And by the way, it says, uh, Pastor Dan Monroe did a great job last week talking about thou shalt not murder. Kill in cold blood ties into the hatred in our hearts. Let me just pause here. Since I wasn't here last week, I thought I, I just needed to address what took place in Orlando very quickly as it relates to this uh, commandment, thou shalt not murder. Anyone who wants to know where I am and where the church is on the question of homosexuality and same-sex relationships. I did a whole message on that, preached for an hour. It's on our website. Go check it out. Uh, That's the position that we hold. But having said that, it's even more important, I think, that I say what I'm about to say right now, which is that the attack and the cold-blooded murder that took place with those uh, 49 individuals in that nightclub last weekend was an attack straight out of the pits of hell. Heaven had nothing to do with it whatsoever. I want to be sure that we're clear about that. Secondly, I, there's a fella in Sacramento, someone sent me the tape, the video, who's in a message said that he celebrates the fact that these people were killed and he wished that more people had been killed. An outrageously insane statement. So let me be clear about this. That fellow does not represent Jesus, the gospel, nor the church, and he certainly does not represent me. And so for those of you who have been a uniquely impacted because that attack was against the community. I just want you to know that we're praying for you. We love you. Uh, And uh, we're praying that God somehow uh, surprise us all what God brings out of this experience. What's unique about that commandment about murder is this, that in that part of the world, might made right. And when God says, you don't get to kill people in cold blood, he's really taking on that sense of thinking. And he's essentially saying, you know, and, and, and it's kind of universal. You don't get to kill anybody in cold blood. That's kind of radical in that part of the world. And then when it comes to adultery, God says, you shall not commit adultery. He didn't say, guys, you should not commit adultery, but women is cool with you. 
He didn't say, women, you should not commit adultery. We'll wink at the guys. It is a co-equal statement. He's calling both men and women up to a high standard. He's saying that both of us are empowered and authorized and held responsible for protecting the family. For releasing blessings or disaster in our family. That's a radical statement. Shout radical. It's a radical statement in that context and for some it's a radical statement today all right so here's the deal why is adultery such a big deal all right the big idea that i'm teaching from the day is that god says no to adultery well 2016 why is adultery such a big deal have you ever noticed where this commandment is placed it comes right after thou shall not murder and right before thou shall not steal I think there's some implications here that, that when adultery happens, that's a physical sexual relationship uh, that, that you're married and you, you engage in that with someone who's not your spouse, that's adultery, right? And when that happens, the covenant of marriage is broken, but there is something that is so traumatic and crushing that takes place that impacts and have ramifications throughout your family and even the next generation that it's, 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 it's right to put it up there with this notion of murder. So much so that the Old Testament had a penalty applied to it that if you were called an adultery, you could be killed. So much so that Jesus says uh, in, uh, that, 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 that in Matthew that uh, he, he despises divorce, but if adultery is in the mix, you don't have to get a, a divorce, but he, he authorizes it. You have the, the ability to do it because it's something so deep. That, that's this notion of murder. And then there's this notion of stealing. Everybody say stealing. So I don't mean like stealing candy. I mean, I'm going to preach about stealing next week. And the real notion beneath that, that, that notion of stealing, it is the implications that I'm trying to get something without putting the work and the investment into it. So it's like you see that great guy over there and you've just decided, come on now, you know, he's really great. He's a great family man. It's kind of like Whitney Houston singing about, uh, I'm saving all my love for you. Anybody remember that song? I mean, I, that was a scandalous song. I didn't know it until I looked at the lyrics, but, 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 but that was a scandalous song, guys. And, 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 and she said, you know, and, 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 you know, she sees this guy. She says, you know, your family needs you, but I want you. Come on now. Well, wait a moment. They done put all the investment, all the work and all that stuff in. And says, okay, I want to skip that and get, some, to get the end product. Everybody say Stealing. We'll talk more about that next week. All right. Now, here's the deal. Even if you're not a Christian and you just showed up to visit today, you're probably thinking, my, I picked a day to show up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All the Sundays I show up on this Sunday. All right. All right. Even if you're not a Christian, we share a common instinct. Everybody has an instinct that says, I don't want to be cheated on. All right, by the way, I know I got some folk here. Let me, let, me, let, me honor, let me recognize two groups of people. First of all, I know I got some men here and some men that I'm listening to who've been married for decades and you have never, ever committed adultery. And I just want to say, I don't, you don't need to stand, but I want us to applaud. I just want to celebrate you because that's a big deal. 
I want to acknowledge that on Father's Day. That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean that there's not some challenges going on in your, in your marriage, your family. But this is one challenge that you have lived to overcome so far. And that's a big deal. And we celebrate that. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Second thing I want to point out is I got some folk here not married. And you're like, wow, this medicine doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. Because a percentage of you are thinking about getting married, right? And even a broader percentage of you are dating. And here's my point. You may not be married, but if you're cheating in your dating, if you're cheating in your dating, you are practicing what you will become in marriage. So here's my argument. If you can't keep your word with a short commitment, what makes you think you can keep your word with an eternal commitment? Practice now what you hope to be in marriage. So this applies to you. I want you to listen. Listen very, very closely. So we've got this common instinct. So I was thinking about this. So why do we have this instinct? Well, let, me, let me pull it out here. One of my favorite movies is called um, The Best Man. It's a classic the star in it is a fellow by the name of Chestnut. What's his first name? I knew y'all knew. <laughs> Especially the women. Y'all knew that one. <laughs> Morris Chestnut. It's out of my cultural context. <laughs> and, and while this is a movie, I've counseled tons of guys over the last 30 years that fits this character. So Morris Chestnut, he's a, he's a football star in college. He's got a sweet, beautiful girlfriend, sold out to him. She loves him, faithful. And so he cheats throughout college. But then he gets drafted in the NFL and he says, look, I'm going to get married. And when I get married, the marriage is going to change me. And so he gets married. But remember what I told you previously, a few moments ago, right? You practice who you become in marriage when you're dating. And so he gets married. He's an NFL star, people throwing themselves at and he's just cheating left and right. Somewhere along the way, he discovers through reading a book that his best friend writes that his now wife, then girlfriend, one time cheated on him. 